Can we see that? You all got that there, great. And can you see me as well? Great, okay. Um, how, how do we give voice to our suffering, to our loss? And just thinking about over the last 12 months, we just watched that video, haven't we? I mean, it, it really does express what's been going on over the last 12 months. All of us, to some extent, have experienced some form of suffering. And suffering is something we don't really like talking about, not really. We, because suffering is about losing something. And if you're anything like me, you don't like losing something. I much prefer talking about prospering and having things added to me, like achievements and gaining things. But with suffering comes loss, comes trauma, grief. How do we deal with suffering? How do we deal with loss? And now this is more applicable than ever to everybody, isn't it? After the last 12 months that we've had. Maybe it's the trauma of the loss of a loved one. Or maybe it's a smaller loss, a loss of our freedom over the last 12 months. How do we deal with this? Well, Granger Westberg writes that grieving is a common experience. It's something that we have in common. There are some small griefs that we can experience. And then there's much larger ones, as we said, about the losing of someone that we love very dearly. And he talks about 10 stages of grief that people go through. It starts with firstly, um, the first one is we are in a state of shock. It leads to then um, an expression of emotion. Thirdly, we feel depressed and very lonely. Fourthly, we may experience physical symptoms of distress. We may become panicky, a sense of guilt and a loss. We're filled with anger and resentment. We resist returning to how things were. We gradually, gradually hope will break through and does come through, but then we struggle to affirm the reality of what life is actually like now. Maybe we're somewhere along this continuum over the last 12 months of things that have happened. Maybe there's some form of suffering that has been going on. Or maybe there's something a little bit more deep-seated that's been going on for longer, something that's been plaguing you for many, many years. So I think that this sermon series is really important for us as a church. I think it's gonna be really helpful for us as we learn to lament well. How does the Bible tell us to lament? How does the Bible tell us to express that grief and our sorrow at loss and distress? You see, this book gives voice to the people of God following the fall of, of Jerusalem and Judah in 587 BC. They knew what suffering was. And I think we can learn from them how to express grief in times of our difficult circumstances, whether that's small griefs or whether that's large griefs. And you see, suffering is always going to do something to us. It's either going to make us hard hearted and bitter towards God or it's gonna make us more pliable and we'll trust God more. And my prayer for us over this next six weeks as we look at this book is that we will learn to lament well. We will learn to pull in and cling in and take comfort from God in our suffering. So today we're gonna to start with an overview of Lamentations and we'll come on to that in a moment. Um, and then next week we'll start with chapter one, funny enough, um, and we'll be answering the big question, why does suffering happen in the first place? Why does it even happen? But because, and, and also we need to answer that question, don't we? Because that's the number one objection that people have or what they, they use and say as to why they don't believe that there's a good God. And so we look forward to, to unpacking that a bit next week. But this week, it's gonna do an overview of Lamentations. I just wanna start with where it fits in in an overview of 
the whole Bible story. I think it's helpful to know when this fits in because it, it, it helps us understand how it's got to this point where God's chosen people are suffering. Well, as you know, God created a perfect world. He created man and he, he was in perfect relationship with man. We were under his rule. But man chooses to rebel and uh, to be their own rulers. Sin enters the world. Man and God are separated. But God always had a plan from before time began to redeem a people for himself through Jesus, removing sin and separ that separates us from God. But leading up to that plan, um, it was unveiled slowly over time, wasn't it? It starts with God choosing Abraham to, to be the line that Jesus, the king, the savior would one day come from. God blesses Abraham and makes him to, into a nation. But that nation is in slavery. It's in slavery for 400 years in Egypt until 1500 BC. God frees them from slavery to be brought into the promised land. But they moan at God time after time. They moan. And so God doesn't let them enter the promised land for 40 years. They wander around the wilderness. God makes a covenant with them. He says, I will be your God. You will be my people. If you um, keep your side of the covenant, I will always keep my side of the covenant. But you must obey me. That's what you need to do. Obey me and live under my rightful rule. And I will bless you. I will bless you with the land. I will bless you with protection and abundance of food. But if you don't, you will receive curses, famine, invasion. The wrath of God will come upon them. But they enter the promised land. God lets them enter the promised land and they are experiencing the blessing, split into 12 tribes, into different areas. And they're finally there. Praise the Lord. They're excited that they are there. Praise God. But they continually break their covenant with God, don't they? they we know that they keep turning to other gods. Uh, immediately, they no, days go past and they're turning to other gods already. But God is gracious and he's slow to anger. He will act on their sin, but he doesn't do it immediately. He calls them to repentance over and over again, but they're given judges to rule over them. Uh, but the judges, some of them are good, some of, most of them are bad, and they get further and further away from God. They beg for a king to be like the other nations. God's like, you, you, don't, that's, you were supposed to be different than the other nations, but they beg and beg and say, no, we want a king. We'll be better if there's a king. God gives them the king. They have some good ones, but many, many bad ones that lead them further and further away from God. And then there's disunity that happens between the tribes. The tribes split. Um, Israel in the northern kingdom split away from Judah in the southern kingdom. Then in 750 BC, Israel is taken into captivity by the Assyrians. Some 150 years later, Judah is then defeated that has the capital that has Jerusalem as part of it. They're defeated by the Babylonians, which are the new superpower at that time. There's three sieges, one in 605 BC when Jerusalem is taken captive and they take away uh, people like Daniel. The elites go away and are moved um, towards Babylonia, ba Babylon, uh, Babylonia. Um, Daniel, um, so the second siege is in 597 BC when more people are taken. And then in 587, Jerusalem is completely destroyed over an 18-month period. It's awful. You can read the account in 2 Kings 24 and 25. And this is the event that Lamentations looks back on. This is where the book of Lamentations comes in. It looks at the suffering of God's people during this time. And it's a powerful voice that we need to hear. And I'm just going to look at three reasons today why we need to hear it. Well, firstly, 
Lamentations remembers Israel's grief. And it's important to remember it. When you read this, when you read Lamentations, you come face to face with one of the most graphic portrayals of human suffering that you'll ever read. The greatest catastrophe that has ever happened to Israel. The temple is destroyed. God has departed. Women are raped. Men are slain. Starvation hits. Women are eating their own children, and it's called, and that's called a bless, and that's called um, a, a slight mercy for them. There's no rulers. All the leaders have gone. Only the poor remain, and the Babylonians are picking them off one by one as they come out of the streets, and they pick them off with arrows. No one is spared. The suffering is great. It's the most awful experience you can imagine. And what's, what's even more shocking is this is God's chosen people. This, is the, this, is, this was King David's city, the unbreakable fortress of Jerusalem. The other nations looked on and were like, wow, we can't do anything to them. God is with them. And now they look on and laugh at them. You can't imagine what they went through because this was losing the land. This was the promise that they'd been given by God. With the land came blessing. Without the land, there was no blessing for them. And here they go from being a nation, the Israelites, to being a people dispersed, the Jews. The language is just one of utter heartbreak and devastation. They're struggling, as Westberg would say, to affirm reality at this stage. They're grief-stricken. How could this happen to them? What now? What now for the Israel? What is what now for Israel? Well, the only conceivable thing they can do is lament. The only thing they can do is cry out to God. And that's what this author does. This author takes us through a journey of what Judah's grief was like. It's a masterful piece of poetry. Some people say it's one of the greatest poems ever constructed. It forces us to consider and look at the horrors of what takes place. You see, these laments give a voice to Israel's grief. It gives the um, grief and have remembered, and it's been remembered by Jews to this day. This was used, uh, this has always been used, the Book of Lamentations, for Jews to look back on these days, like what happened to Israel, what happened to Jerusalem then, but then also what happened to Jerusalem in AD 70 when the temple that had been replaced got, broke, got, um, got uh, destroyed again. And it's used to this day. And now for us as Christians, we can use this book as a source of how do we lament? How do we cry out to God? Well, the structure of this book is five poems of laments, one per chapter. If you look at chapters one, two and four, they are funeral poems. They're done as acrostic. And that's so basically there's 22 verses. Each one is um, the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Each one, so, um, and it's like the author is speaking of the A to Z of the grief of what has hit um, Jerusalem. No stone is left unturned, and he gives full vent to their grief. But these acrostics serve to bring a sense of order and restraint. They give a dignity to what otherwise would be a chaotic and dehumanizing expression of grief. And then as you read it, you see this powerful contrast, a powerful contrast between um, uh, corporate and individual laments. We see the contrast between male voices and then a female voice. We see the contrast between bitterness and repentance, between hopelessness and hopefulness, between rich and poor, young and old, to show the gravity of what has gone on. 
And then chapter five, the final chapter of Lamentations is an acrostic. It's, 20, it's not an acrostic, sorry. It's got 22 verses, but it's as if um, the, the author's, um, all, all the restraint that he's had in verses one to, in chapters one to four now just comes out in chaotic um, splurge as events, what's gone on. But then in any Hebrew poetry, the central chapter, the central piece is the key piece of the book and of the passage of the poem. It's 66 verses, three times the length of the other ones. This is a triple acost acrostic where, try and say that five times quickly, a triple acrostic, I can't even say it twice, a triple acrostic. Um, where the first three, the first three lines are AAA, the second three lines are BBB, or whatever the Hebrew letters are, you get what I mean. So, it's, it, and it's the central piece of this book, and it's the only section that has any source of hope in it. Well, in chapter one, the author, who many believe to be Jeremiah, the prophet who'd spent forty years in the lead up to this very event telling the people that God is saying, repent, or the, my wrath is coming, and they don't listen to him. But they believe it's Jeremiah that may have been the author of this. And the first chapter is written from the perspective of Lady Zion, that is, Jerusalem as a whole, how it has fallen from its lofty position, how it's um, now a widow, childless, a vulnerable woman who has endured rape, exploitation, affliction, starvation during the siege of the city. And it allows us to hear the great pain that she's gone through. She cries out in chapter one for help, but no one comforts. Her enemies and her, even her allies won't come to her aid. She groans continually and cries out to no avail. And you cannot but be moved by her pain and her shame. It's not an easy read. It is not an easy read at all. It's one of those bits of the Bible that you kind of want to stay away from. You certainly don't want to do a Bible study with someone and start with this, do you? Because you think, how can I explain this away? How can God ordain this? How can God let this happen to his people and choose this to happen to his people? But that's the beauty of the Bible is that it doesn't shy away from these hard things. That's why we can come to it and see that it covers every single possible thing that has ever happened to any human being. It doesn't shy away from it, shares it. Because that's the reality of what life is like in a sinful world. But it's important that we remember the realities that have been endured, endured by people through the ages, especially at this point, as we bear witness, as they bear witness and we listen to their voices of how they handled their situation. And we can consider how it's going to shape us. So it's important that it does remember Israel's grief. We can look back and learn from it. But secondly, Lamentations gives voice to our grief as well. Of course, it's not very easy to draw direct application from Israel's circumstances to us. But it can teach us to hear and speak the biblical language. It's crucial when we're dealing with grief. If, if you're anything like me, when any pain or suffering comes my way, I'm very quick to bury my head and not want to face up to it. It's a very Western way of dealing with it, I think. We don't like facing things. We bear our heads. Sometimes we might even blame others for the situation. We become bitter and we don't even want to go there with God and understand why he's even done this. 
if we're relatively strong, we might even just try and suppress it so we don't show everyone that what, what's going on inside of us. We struggle to affirm reality. But God actually gives us a voice to our grief. He wants us to cry out to him. And when we lament well, we can fully face to face with our pain and it offers us hope and a future resolution to our pain, which doesn't gloss over the trauma of what we've gone through. It gives us that all important permission to protest against life difficulties, to scream out loud, to cry, to vent, to plead and to complain, even in the presence of God and with other people. It lets us ask those hard questions without condemnation. Why did this happen? How could you allow it, Lord? Where are you in the midst of what I'm going through? How can you be good and let this happen to me? It allows us to weep without explanation. You see, it might be messy and it might be uncomfortable, but it is the first step in the healing process. We, and we're not great at this, are we? That British stiff upper lip is not helpful for us in this situation. But it's something that I want and I desire for us, as I've looked at this and studied this, that I want us to do going forward as a church. I want us to lament both corporately and in our personal lives. As Andy said, at the end of this, uh, at the end of this sermon, we're going to have some time um, to think about those things that have, that have, that, that have really trauma, uh, given us trauma, that have caused us to lose something, something that we're frustrated about, struggling with, sad about, maybe you're exhausted by life's blows, you've lost all endurance even to go on, tell it to God, spend some time doing that. Don't bury your head in the sand and think it will just go away. It won't, we have to voice it to God. The loss of a loved one, maybe a miscarriage, maybe the loss of a, friend's, a friendship. As we suffer loss, cry out to him for comfort. The Bible wants you to do this and we can cry out like with the author. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my help, hope from the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm not used to that kind of raw honesty, even with God and becoming to him in his presence and doing that. Instead, I often look inwards into myself and try and hide away from it or try and just push it down and suppress it. But going to God in your grief is an act of faith all on its own. Actually turning to God in that time of grief and lamenting towards him is actually a show and a sign of our faith in him, as difficult as it may be. And chapter five models this for us. The final chapter models this for us. It goes from an, um, it goes from an individual to a corporate lament. It's a corporate prayer for mercy as they pray and plead to God. It says, remember, O Lord. It starts with, remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. It's where the first corporate prayer comes to it. It's calling out to him. They pray out their pain. And there's many different sufferings that go on. And actually there's loads of, there's probably a dozen specific sufferings that different people have gone through that are prayed out in chapter five to the Lord, praying for him to intervene. And it's something that we should do as a church. It's good for us to do. We voice our hurt to God and we can do it together. We can grieve alongside one another. 
and I don't know about you, but I can sometimes, I, I maybe struggle to grieve by myself, but I find it even harder sometimes to go and support others that are grieving. We don't always know how to support people, do we? We sometimes feel awkward. We don't know what to say. We might have a verse stuck in our pocket that we want to go and share with them. But actually, that might not be the most helpful thing at that time. But actually, what we see is we can just cry out together. We, can, we may not even be able to empathise with them. We don't know what they're going through. We can't, we can't, we've never experienced anything what our friends are going through. But we can still cry out to God together. We can literally, tears down our face, be crying out to God together, even though we don't know what they're going through. Just as ladies are in chapter one, please for the people to hear a pain. We can do the very same. We can do it for our brothers and sisters in Christ, even across the world, as we've done tonight for Chris and Zoe Fletcher. And as we do every other week with the prayer cast um, videos that we do. And it's challenged me because sometimes we do those prayer cast videos and they are so helpful and so, well, and I, I even get very, you probably see me get quite emotional when we watch them. But then how long does that last? How quick is it that I then forget about hold, upholding them in prayer? But it's what we're told to do. If a brother and sister is struggling, we are able to uphold them in prayer and cry out on their behalf. How long, O oh Lord? So as we do that at the end of our gathering, let's do that. Let's, let's cry out on behalf of them for their suffering and pain that they're going, going through. How long, O oh Lord, will it be? You see, giving voice to our grief initiates the healing process, but lament doesn't stop there because otherwise our grief would be too much to bear, which is why God gives us hope in Lamentations, that one day, it says in Lamentations 3, verse 1, talks about the man who has seen affliction. Chapter 3 is about the lonely man who has seen affliction. And it's talking about, I think it's pointing to, about Jesus, the one who would bear the grief that we are unable to. So thirdly, Lamentations points us to Jesus, the ultimate, um, uh, the ultimate grief bearer. So it helps us remember Israel's grief. It gives us voice to our grief. But Lamentations points us to Jesus, the ultimate grief bearer. We actually see hope in this book, believe it or not. When you read it, it is one of the most distressing reads you'll ever read. But there is hope still found in there. It, firstly, it offers hope directly as a book in the text. It says in the middle of the verses of the whole book, purposely put in the middle, so it draws our attention to it, that the central message is there is hope amongst all this calamity that's going on. It says this in um, verse... Um, verse 22 to 26 it says because of the lord's great love we are not consumed for his compassions look at that it's plural compassions never fail they are new every morning great is your faithfulness and i say to myself the lord is my portion therefore i will wait for him the lord is good to those who hope in him to the one who seeks him it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. There is, even in the most unlikely of circumstances, there is hope in suffering, even in the most awful of suffering. 
It's the nature of God that this lonely man recalls. God is faithful. He is compassionate. He remembers that that is a truth about the nature of God. And he seeks to wait on his salvation, even when God is seemingly not found. And that's important. That's really important because we only have faith in God in our suffering when we can see what he's doing through it. Then when it comes to it, when we suffer and we don't see why he's doing this, it's only going to lead to bitterness. Faith comes when we can't even see what he's doing, yet we trust in his nature, his compassion and his faithfulness, even though we don't know what he's doing. But the last words of this whole book in the end of chapter five, don't give us the happy Hollywood ending that you're hoping for. It leaves us with uncertainty about salvation, our salvation. It says, it says, it starts hopeful, restore to us yourself, O Lord. And then it finishes with, unless you have utterly rejected us. Well, praise the Lord. These are not the final words of the whole Bible, are they? Because Secondly, we see Lamentations offers us hope, the hope of Jesus. It anticipates Jesus as the sin-bearing, grief-bearing work that he does on the cross. Chapter 3, verses 49 to 66 are verses that speak of the suffering that is born on our behalf. Jesus is the lonely male voice who takes the pain of God's wrath. It's linking to Isaiah 53, that beautiful um, uh, passage about the suffering servant. Jesus, who comes as the true Israel, standing in its place, the man of sorrows, who's acquainted with every grief, taking on the burden and the sorrow on himself so that humanity may be reconciled to God. Just as Lady Zion wept over Jerusalem, it foreshadows Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. Like Lady Zion, who was abandoned by her allies, Jesus experienced abandonment by his closest of friends. Like Lady Zion, he felt pain, humiliation and shame. Like Lady Zion, he suffered awfully. Like Lady Zion, he became unclean and defiled by sin. But his suffering was not justified, as it was not his own sin. And like the author, Jesus puts his trust in God's ultimate faithfulness and compassions, knowing that he's not going to be cast out forever. So as we read Lamentations, we see echoes of Christ and how he bore our sin and sufferings for us. He was the ultimate grief bearer and so oikos we have hope we do not grieve as those who don't have hope as believers we have a wonderful hope all our grief sorrow and sin has been taken on by jesus we have salvation even in the midst of our most difficult of sufferings and we all know that one day the pain and the suffering of this world will go away when we're in heaven all rights will be wronged. Every tear will be wiped away. And Jesus is able to start wiping our tears right here, right now. He just wants us to cry out, cry out to God. And Jesus wipes our tears away. He comforts us. He cares for us. For now, we will experience pain and suffering, but one day we won't. This doesn't mean that we gloss over what we're going through here and now, but it does mean that there's always hope for us. And just remember, suffering will always do something in us. It can either make us harder hearted and bitter towards God, or it can make us more pliable as we trust in God and the character, his faithfulness, his compassions. Can I ask, what will it be for you?
even when we can't see the point of suffering, God's compassion and his faithfulness endures. And so that's what I want us to do now. We're going to put some background, uh, uh, background music on in a moment, and I'll encourage you to black out your screens. But let's not let this opportunity pass. Let's take a moment to think about our loss. For some of us, that might be very easy to do. Um, there might be something quite raw. For, for some of you, um, it, might, it might be um, difficult. For some of us, it might be difficult to do. And if there isn't anything going on in our life at the moment, or has been, and praise the Lord for that, that is a blessing. But maybe we can uphold some others that we know that are struggling at this time. Chris and Zoe Fletcher, the family of, um, and the family of his boss that sadly passed away. So take a moment to think about your loss, your suffering, and lament to God. Christ is on your side. He is waiting with a handkerchief to wipe those tears away. Don't be ashamed. Cry out to him. Don't be afraid of that at all. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. I encourage you, cry out to him. Maybe it's the loss of a child. Cry out to him. Maybe it's a loss of freedom over the last 12 months and resenting the last 12 months. Cry out to him. Maybe it's the loss of our children's education or the loss of them being able to see other people for the last 12 months in their such short lives. Cry out to him. Maybe it's the loss that our brothers and sisters are experiencing across the world that is really breaking your heart at the moment and you don't know why. It's, you don't know why God is, how God is at work. Cry out to him and remember, great is your faithfulness. There is hope in suffering. Cry out to him and have your tears wiped away by Jesus. He knows better than anyone else what you've gone through or what you're going through. Spend some time doing that now.